0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Steve Beecraft, General Manager and CEO of Southern States Cooperative. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Steve Beecraft next. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Southern States Cooperative is celebrating their 100-year anniversary here in 2023. General manager and CEO Steve Craft says he's honored to be with a business that has survived so many obstacles and maintains its mission of serving farmers and rural communities.
1: It's a long history, you know, started in 23 as the Virginia Seed Company, and there's really a small group of farmers that wanted to band together to produce and get access, mainly get access to clover and alfalfa and grass seeds that would, you know, perform in this climate. And eventually and fairly quickly grew and added feed and then fertilizer and agrochemicals and then farm supply and really became a part of several other regional cooperatives. And kind of, there's some ebb and flow to the organization over that last hundred years, but really in, in around the year 2000, our management team made some decisions that leveraged our balance sheet to a point that wasn't sustainable. And so, you know, we really had uh, a great, I'll say a great first 77 years and kind of a dark 20 years. We've always participated in cooperation with other cooperatives and sometimes that's been really successful and other times it hasn't been. But for, you know, we've, our board has never lost uh, interest or desire or value in pursuing strength in the cooperative system and so it's always been a part of our legacy, it's part of our future and Growmark really stepped up here a couple of years ago in the fall of 2020 when we put our uh, transaction together and really became a you know a key element of our go forward strategy and so it you know, take take hours to talk about all the different ways they've influenced um, and helped us go from a wholesale retail cooperative to a retail only cooperative so we're You know, in some ways we're a shell of what we were 20 years ago, but we're profitable and sustainably profitable. And we're back to, when I say back to our roots, serving our farmer owners. So I think we lost our way for a while.
0: Were you purchased by GrowMark, or are you in a cooperation with GrowMark?
1: GrowMark purchased our wholesale energy business. They purchased our wholesale agronomy business. And they purchased six of our retail stores on the Delmarva. They don't have an ownership stake in the current southern states. We are a member of the GrowMark FS system like many other 40 or 50 other members of their system. But they don't have an ownership stake in Southern States. They provide some credit facilities to us. They have participated in portions of our refinancing off- offerings the last couple years. But there's no ownership of Southern States by Growmark.
0: 150 farmers back in Richmond, Virginia, 1923, staked at $11,000 for startup capital. You are still farmer owned. So what's been the relationship with your co-op members over a period of time and even now in this new environment?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting because, you know, while we were a successful property for, you know, nearly eighty years, we were we were not so successful in the first, you know, few decades of, of the two thousands. And what I found, I came here about seven years ago and what I found was an incredibly loyal group of customers and a loyal group of employees who wanted to see Southern States be successful. They wanted to see Southern states as a part of their local community and, and frankly had built a reputation of, you know, taking care of our owners and serving our owners to the point they had been incredibly patient with, with the organization's poor performance. And so, um, you know, I think our board and our farmer owners have, um, they've been more patient with Southern states performance than, an outsider, and I consider myself a little bit of an outsider because I spent my first 30 years not with this company, um, I was really both shocked and amazed at the commitment of the customer base and employees to making sure Southern States you know, stayed relevant and was there to service their family farm needs.
0: Two separate questions, but still in the same category of finances. So, what is the financial health now of Southern States Co op? And what about the health of your customers? There have been a lot of winds of change over a period of time. How do you approach 23 from a cooperative standpoint? And and how about your customers?
1: Well, first start with Southern States. um, You know, we had our first profitable year and a decade last year and had a nearly a $30 million turnaround or improvement. And we're six months into our fiscal year now, and we're running well ahead of budget and the previous year. So we feel like this retail-only strategy that we evolved to over the last two years is sustainable. And it's given us some opportunities to refinance the company, both our term and our ABL, which is a process that we're currently going through. It's going to give us access to some more Capital, because it does take a lot of capital to run businesses in these higher priced environments, but more competitive interest rates and more liquidity. So you know, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish that had we not started performing financially. And then secondarily, our customer base, you know, is broad. But we have a a big livestock sector more in the beef cattle side we've got a row crop sector and then we have a fairly large farm and home business and a residential propane business and so you know i think generally speaking i would say that farm economy has been pretty healthy the last few years their balance sheets have improved but they're faced with higher interest rates as well so these smaller younger less capitalized farmers you know are still going to need access to Competitive capital compete in our, in our, what I'll call our urban markets where the inflation has impacted families' disposable income. We're seeing that play out in some of our urban stores where we're more of a home and garden kind of a retailer. We're seeing an impact where people are spending a lot more money on groceries and gasoline. And you know, less money reseeding lawns and more discretionary decisions. But the core of our customer base, because they're agriculturally focused, have had some really nice years. And I think that's been helpful. If you track southern states finances over the last hundred years, it's a high correlation to when the farmers are profitable. We seem to do well.
0: What role does the part-time farmer, the sundowner, the the urban area that still has their hand in the soil? What role do they play in, in terms of the bottom line of Southern States Co-op?
1: Yeah, there. I mean, we're probably heavy, heavy weighted in that part-time farmer because of you know being in you know North and South Carolina and, and Virginia, West Virginia little bit of stuff in maryland and then in kentucky we're probably more row crop oriented but because of the physical locations of our assets we are probably more heavily influenced by these part-time farmers um and it's a good it's a it's a niche for us in some markets it's growing We've got locations that, you know, where I would call heavy agronomy 20 years ago, but because of urban sprawl, we've had to shift away from row crop agriculture to pastures for the equine customer to more of the home lawn and garden kind of a marketplace because of the urban sprawl. So it, 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 it does vary a lot for us by geography, but it, it is a, it's a growing customer segment for us, not a declining one.
0: So let's look at 2023, uh, out of the rearview mirror if we can. A year ago, I recall retailers were certainly concerned about available supply of nutrients and of crop protection products. There was transportation and distribution issues uh, on the tail end of COVID and along with other issues. So now as you face 23, are some of those ghosts still here in front of you? Or what's your outlook uh, as we approach a new crop season? Yeah, I
1: mean, I would say some of those ghosts are hanging around, but none of them are as scary as they were a year ago the supply chains are starting to reestablish themselves. Uh, some We're seeing costs come down. I mean, if you're watching fuel, just what, what's happened to diesel fuel in the last couple of weeks, what's happened to fertilizer, and so we did get prices high enough we started rationing demand. So I, I do think the supply chain is going to conduct more smoothly than it has in the last couple of years. We're seeing, a, you know, some downward pressure, but not everywhere. And there are still some products more in the crop protection space that are going to be on limited allocation, but you know, last year we had 250 products that were on allocation. And today, that's one-tenth of that number.
0: What about the fertilizer supply and the fertilizer price?
1: Well, we peaked out this summer, and we've seen, you know, some significant corrections in potash and to lesser degree nitrogen. So potash and phosphorus have, have continued to work their sales slower, and even recently. One thing that we're seeing is a delay in the decision-making at the grower level. But so the dealers are not buying because they're concerned about prices coming down. The farmers are holding off as long as they can because prices are coming down. You can't blame them for that. Um, there is a day of reckoning here. Coming in, I would say f- by mid to late February that you know, these supply chains are long enough that if we don't have product on order coming at us when the grower needs it, we can't all wait till the day we need it and make the system work right. So I do think we're going to, we're going to find a bottom here really quickly over the next you know, thirty to forty five days. And then I think there's gonna be adequate supply of product. I think the the biggest challenge will be the logistics of getting it moved around because there's still a profound shortage of drivers, applicators, truck drivers, propane drivers. The labor is probably the, the one issue that's not improved year over year of all the things that you teed
0: up. So thinking then about challenges uh, that you that you're facing here for 23 labor is said to be a top issue by so many commodity organizations by other co-ops by retailers by the railroad industry and trucking how big is the labor issue for for southern states and the the retail industry?
1: Well it is our number one challenge as a retailer and we're not unique you know today we have around 950 full-time employees and 250 seasonal employees and we have about 80 open positions today, and that's actually um, not – it sounds it sounds worse than it is. But as we talk to other people, that's probably, uh, you know, maybe even above the par out there today. But the real there is a real challenge out here in labor, and it, I think ultimately the, the change in the labor and the workforce is going to drive some more consolidation at the retail level, and we're all going to have to get bigger and much more efficient. At what we do and we're going to have to do more with technology and more with less labor because I don't think the labor is going to just, we're not going to find the kind of labor that we were able to find five and 10 and 20 years ago. I do think one thing that, you know, and there's, there is some pressure today. I do think lowering the CDL driver age to 18 would have a net positive impact. And I'd like to see that happen, but the the labor challenge is at the farm and it's at the retail level. So that also says that we've got some work to do in the. You know immigration reform because we've got a we've got some large diversified growers who have really significant seasonal labor needs and it, it, that's become a real challenge for those growers and we we have some large tobacco growers who have got out of the business. And one of the variables was just the difficulty in managing the H-2A worker program. It's gotten really complicated.
0: When we think about 2023, would you suggest that producers are slower in making uh, planting decisions in your region? And can you get a feel of which way they might be leaning?
1: Yeah, it's weird because I worked in the Midwest for for 30 years where your choice was corn or soybeans or corn on corn so there weren't a lot of options for the midwest grower out here we you know we have peanuts and cotton and tobacco and you know sweet potatoes and we have a lot of vegetable crops and there's just a lot more cropping diversity in our markets and that tends to delay the decision making process Um, we all are always behind in making acreage decisions you know we have to get our tobacco allocations and in a lot of cases, growers have to say how much cotton they're going to grow and then they will fill that in with, with corn and soybeans. Um, but today I, you know, if I look at our sales, they're running ahead of last year and see it does look to me like the, the soybean acre could be winning out a little bit over the corn acre. And again, you have to realize that there's counties in Illinois and Iowa that have more corn than the state of Virginia. So we're not going to move the, the national numbers around very much, but, um, I do think the, the soybean demand um, and the relative cost of production is probably given a nod to soybeans in our market.
0: You're celebrating 100 years, and I look to the beginning of the Virginia seed service that came about, and and the farmer's goal was a reliable supply of high-quality products they were looking for seeds that would really do better uh seeds that would really grow i think is the words that your your uh, history story had to say is it really any different today in terms of a retailer uh providing the needs of producers
1: no i think we've made it more complicated than it ought to be at times because at the at the core um, our our role as a farmer owned cooperative is to is to be that reliable supplier. Um, the difference between now and hundred years ago is we're blessed with just incredible technology choices. So the seeds and the traits that we have available and can make available to our growers are you know far superior to what they would have had uh, even one or two decades ago, um, let alone a century ago. Um, but I I fundamentally you know, ag retails about winning that local relationship war. You know, you know, it requires a company with a culture that where people are valued and empowered and knowledgeable about the products and services that we offer. And for us, that's, you know, growing things on the farm and, and in some markets, growing things around the home. So, um, one of the things that we pride ourselves in is being that local advisor, that local supplier that, that can be trusted to, to you know, have the growers interest
0: at heart. Thinking of technology, uh, farmers using multiple stack traits of biotech seed, not only do we have autonomy in machines, we have artificial intelligence in machines, they're embracing new technologies all of the time. So how does this affect the retailer? And what do you feel like you as a retailer have to do to remain viable? Uh, in this agriculture today and the agriculture to come?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. and I think that's one of the strengths that Growmark brings to the table is, you know, we've leaned really hard into their training and development programs. They're really good at training up sellers and customer facing folks on products and technologies. And so our farmers expect more from us and those jobs are increasingly complicated because not only do you have to build the trust in, with the farmer and get to know their land and, and their practices and their strengths and their weaknesses, you've got to stay up to speed on an, you know, an incredible portfolio of technologies. And it's not just seed and traits and chemistry. It's you know, everything around precision ag and data management. So the role of the ag seller, the ag retail seller, is probably as complicated today as it's ever been, and those jobs are in high demand.
0: You're a custom applicator for a number of those products as well. Does that push you as uh, Does that push you to keep up with the technology available to perf- to provide uh, the precision and the sustainability effort that farmers would ask of you?
1: Yeah, and it's always that's been something that Southern States has always been. You know, I'd say toward the forefront, um, when we buy equipment, we want to make sure it's very, very, you know, technology enabled, that, you know, we've got auto steer on most of our equipment. Um, And then, you know, then when we we look at products, you know, we're trying to screen the marketplace for products with a more sustainable footprint. Um, You know, we're looking at a, not just looking, we've been selling, you know, several tens of thousands of tons of, of a a sustainable fertilizer supplier from Anuvia, uh, through their Simtrex product line. Um, because we are looking for, you know, not just the basics of precision ag or the basics of cover crops, but, you know, what are the things that we can do to deliver to the farm that can help those farmers that desire to, to have a more sustainable influence. That's another evolving role that ag retailers
0: must play. You're celebrating here in 2023 your 100-year anniversary. It also happens to be a year that a farm bill needs to be accomplished. So if you could sit down with uh, Mr. Thompson, the chair of the Ag Committee, or Ms. Stabenow, the chair of the Ag Committee uh, in the upper chamber, what are the things that as a retailer you would ask for, either for yourself or the things that you would ask for for your customers?
1: Yeah, farm bill is a complicated topic. At first, of all, get it done in 2023 and don't kick the can down the road to 2024, which is concerned that that might happen. I think this labor thing is a really big deal, and so this this driver age limit is a is an important issue. And yeah, you know, I think crop insurance continues to play a really big role in you know the sustainability of farmers. They put a lot of capital at risk, and they need a they need a way to you know, ensure some of that exposure. Those would be important. ones. And then, you know, you know, we need trade policies that give us fair and competitive access to export markets uh, for the products we produce.
0: Outside of lowering the driver age, is there anything else in the transportation sector that would uh, take away some of the the headaches of the retail industry?
1: The autonomous driver sounds great. The, the reality of it is, you know, it's got to be successful in the Midwest first. And. You know, our average field size is under 30 acres, and we farm a lot of patches in this part of the world. And So that technology is not going to start here. But I do think that will have an influence. There's not a easy button that technology is going to just replace labor, because even some of this technology is just shifting the type of labor we need to, to oversee and to monitor it.
0: You live in a very rural part of the world. Do you find more of your customers now do have access to high-speed broadband? And how great still is the need?
1: It's still pretty great. I mean, ironically, I, I just got high speed uh, delivered to my house about two months ago. Um, and before that, I had, uh, you know, a pretty poor quality. And I'm 20 minutes from downtown Richmond. Um, we have pockets in North and South Carolina and rural communities where, you know, we barely have cell coverage. So these technologies are hard to deploy. And so while I think it's improved a lot, um, we have a lot of work to do to get, you know, complete coverage.
0: Steve B. Craft, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. Uh, happy anniversary, 100 years of Southern states. Uh, you have survived depression, uh, drought, world wars, cold wars, inflation, and so many other things, and and you're still standing. A lot to celebrate. Thank you for being again on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mike, Steve, and you've got the last word.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, agriculture, I think those of us that have chosen to make a living in it are blessed beyond measure. You know, I'm fortunate to have the role I have in a really cool cooperative that's gone through 100 years, not all of them wonderful, but many of them wonderful, and uh, to have the organization healthy again. Um, and I'm excited about the development of, of the team, uh, and about the excitement we have internally, um, and we're you know we're positioning this company for the next hundred years, and I won't be around to see all that, but uh, it has been you know a, a real honor to, to to spend a career in agriculture. It's something that I've always I've always loved, and uh, you know I don't think we should take that for granted.
0: Our thanks to Steve B. General Manager and CEO of Southern States Cooperative, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.